Hi, I'm Travis Foray, and this is the Returns Management Podcast by Return Logic, the show where we connect e-commerce store owners together through casual discussion and examine current myths and trends to keep you up to date on everything happening in the e-commerce world. So, David, for this episode, I'd love to talk to our listeners about disposition management. What do you think about that? What position? What? Didn't you just say this position management? What what position are you talking about? Oh, no, I said disposition management, not this position management. Oh, that thing that Johnny Depp had to do last year. David, no, that's a deposition. You need to work on your enunciation. Or you could work on your listening skills. Well, now my feelings are damaged. Damaged. That's a great example of a disposition. But let's touch on that later. First, let's define what a disposition is in the sense of returns. You're saying disposition. Okay, we'll take those rocks out of your mouth and give our listeners a definition here. All right, I guess I can do that. So dispositions are a set of conditions that classify a return product's grade. So, for example, it could be new with tags, dirty, or damaged. Got it. So, dispositions help warehouse and operations teams stay on top of inventory levels and know the status of every return. That's helpful, especially because most shoppers choose to exchange their product, assuming that their product is going to be resold, that they aren't creating any waste. In reality, only 10% of returns items actually make it back on the shelves. Exactly. So the disposition is assigned to a product by the team that receives returns in the warehouse, and then they dictate what happens with the product. Okay. So can dispositions be whatever the retailer chooses in this case? Yep, that's correct. However, as a retailer, you want to make sure that the dispositions you choose will bring actionable data. If a retailer just chooses not sure as a disposition, they're not really helping the rest of their team learn what condition the product is in when it was received or what's going to happen to the product now. Uh, Okay, so retailers need to be careful when creating their dispositions that they can take action on the changes that they need to make. Exactly. Okay, so then what are some good examples of dispositions that retailers can actually use? That's a great question. Some of the dispositions we recommend are ready for resale. So in this case, the item has no damage and can be resold right away. Liquidated, in this case, the item can't be resold at all. Damaged, the item has been blemished, but we could potentially repair that item and get it back out on the market. Incomplete means that the item has some missing parts, additional units, would be if the customer sent back maybe an empty box or even the wrong item. And then unassigned, you wanna use this option if you've not decided what you're gonna do with the product yet. Gotcha. And can a retailer just set up as many of these as they want? Yeah, so that's also correct. However, we recommend using anywhere from five to eight dispositions. The idea is that you wanna collect this actionable data, but you don't wanna make the process too daunting for your team. That makes sense. Right. It's all about collecting the right data that you can use to act upon. Gotcha. So I guess we mentioned a few reasons there, but why are dispositions important for retailers to put in place? 
Excellent question. One of the biggest reasons is to be able to quickly get those products back on the market in the case that they're just able to be resold. That's a good point. Totally agree. While it might seem appealing to try to refurbish as many products as possible to be in you know perfect restock condition, it just simply isn't scalable when a retailer's volume grows. No, it is not, especially in specific verticals like fashion. As one of our retailers stated about this category, fashion is aging, so you don't want to sit on it too long. You want to turn it to cash fast. With apparel in particular, by the time a product is returned and processed by the retailer, it may be outdated. Mm, that's a good point. Okay. What's another reason? Yeah, so another reason would be accurate inventory levels because D to C brands live and die by their inventory. That's so true. And for every minute a product spends in transit on the warehouse dock or in a pile somewhere, retailers are just losing money. Right. And there's nothing worse than losing money for something that can be fixed. Absolutely. Another value add here could be you're maximizing your team's efficiency. So Disposition management makes it easy for employees to receive the products, give the products a grade by marking the disposition, and then ultimately restocking that item in Shopify if it's appropriate. That's another great example. We'll touch later on how this can be handled easily using return logic, but is there any other reasons you can think of as to why retailers would want to add disposition management to their returns process? Yeah, I can think of two. Uh, so the first one would be to learn more about how long the products are lasting for before they're being returned. Uh, this is especially true for warranties and failure rates. The second one is uh, basically lets the retailers know if there's anything that needs to be done or any manufacturing issues that need to be addressed. Those are two more great examples, and we can touch more on how you as a retailer can put disposition management into place and create a simple process to start collecting this data. But before we do that, let's look at how dispositions are currently handled. Yeah, great plan. So Travis, did you know that some retailers actually don't collect disposition data at all? Wow, really? Well, then how do they know the status and condition of their products when they're returned? They don't. Well, maybe they have it in another system or a place they log it in, but it's a big problem for a lot of retailers. Oh man, that's almost as bad as handling dispositions on spreadsheets, which actually forces the warehouse team to have to review the proof of purchase, make sure the return is eligible, and figure out what to do with it next. Exactly, but not only that, if you're not tracking dispositions, you're exposing yourself to fraud. Interesting. How so? Well, I'm not going to incriminate myself on this podcast, but hypothetically, if dispositions aren't being tracked, I can buy three items, ask for a refund on all three, and then only send two items back, and I essentially get a free item. Hmm, how does that work? And also, did you really do that? I'm going to plead the fifth here, but if the warehouse doesn't have a good way to track the condition a product is in when it gets to the warehouse, and they're just forced to update a spreadsheet, there's no good way to track if there's anything out of the ordinary with that return. Why is that? Well, think about it. I'm a shopper. I got my instant refund. Money's back in my account. And I know these tools can't edit the return. So a savvy shopper such as me, hypothetically, could abuse that system. Well, hypothetically, you're a swindler. 
Travis, it's like tax loopholes. It's not my fault they're there, but I can definitely take advantage of them hypothetically. We're going to move on before you get subpoenaed. Want to be the first time? All right, we'll we'll cut that section out. Maybe. So what's the answer here? What can retailers actually do to avoid situations like this and shoppers like you, David? Great question. So some returns management platforms actually allow you to collect and relay this information right to customer service teams directly through their platform. Wow, that makes it easy. Sure does. Actually, now that you say that, I have an example of how this information was used to solve a big problem. I love some real world examples. Let's hear it. Yeah, so I heard from a retailer one time that they were getting a ton of returns on their t-shirts and they had no idea why. Once looking back at their disposition data, they saw that all of these shirts were being returned with pen marks on them. Interesting. I wonder why. Yeah, so what was happening was the place that they were storing their shirts was too high up and their employees weren't tall enough to reach the shirts. So what they would do to get the boxes down was stick their pen inside of the box and then pull it off the shelf, which caused the pen marks to be on the shirts. Wow. You cannot make this stuff up. No, you can't. So the way that they found this out was actually through the disposition data they collected. And then the warehouse manager went down to the warehouse floor and saw what was actually going on. Were they able to fix it? Yep. Through the disposition data, they were not only able to figure out why this issue was happening, but they also moved the location of these boxes so that they were easier to reach. And voila, the shirt stopped being returned for pen marks. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, I was blown away, but didn't you just talk to one of our retailers who was able to do something similar? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. This is a pretty crazy story. Um, I was talking with an ops manager for an electronics company, and he had some wild stuff he was able to pull off by blending disposition data with return reasons. How do you mean? So this company had just started selling on some third-party channels. It was Amazon, GameStop, I think there were a couple others. They were getting all these shoppers submitting warranty claims through their Shopify site or registering their products and ultimately submitting warranty claims. And obviously electronics, it's you know more warranty heavy than exchange heavy. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that, but keep going. So this company kept getting this one product back across all of their channels and they just couldn't figure out why. Shoppers just kept saying it didn't work as promised or it didn't last as long as advertised. So these products just kept failing within this 365-day warranty window. Wow, that's scary to think about. Yeah, but they figured it out. How? So the warehouse and ops teams would inspect each product that came back. They would scan the barcode, get the serial number, record the disposition, and they would test the product to see if they could replicate the issue or see if they could figure out what was going wrong. And by doing that, they were able to verify if it was failing or not, but the disposition data alone, alone didn't tell the entire story. So what was missing? So they blended their disposition data with their return reason data and ultimately realized that shoppers were submitting claims for the specific SKU because there was a faulty wire. Oof, yikes. What do you do about that? Oh, they realized this faulty wire was coming from one batch of products being sent over from a manufacturer in Indonesia and so they reached out to that manufacturer, they let them know it was failing, and ultimately they worked on a fix. So they ended up figuring it out? Yep, yeah. they made changes. 
In essence, they improve their product, they drop the return rate on it, and ultimately were more profitable because they had some root cause analysis. Wow, that's like finding a needle in a haystack. Right? Not to mention, they only had a handful of product lines, but imagine if you sold hundreds or thousands of products, manually trying to track failure rates or figure out what's wrong with products, that'd be a nightmare. Ugh, yeah, that would be a nightmare. Almost like if the Eagles would have won another Super Bowl, huh, David? All right, I'm done. See ya. Did he just leave? Well, I guess that's all we have for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one. Go Birds! Thanks for listening. Catch another episode, learn more at returnlogic.com, and find us on YouTube. And I'll see you back here on the Returns Management Podcast.